Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. In some of the networking spaces I'm in, I've been seeing a lot of chatter and questions about affiliate programs and how to run them. So I thought it'd be great to get someone in from the affiliate space onto the podcast. So today I'm joined by Dominic Keenan, the VP of Sales at ClickBank. We're going to be exploring what makes a good affiliate program, what mistakes brands make, and also what brands need to be aware of and cautious of when dealing with affiliates. Let's get Dominic on now. Hi, Dominic. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, would you mind just giving us a bit of your background and how you got into the affiliate world? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. So I joined ClickBank about seven years ago, almost to the day, actually. I think it'll be next week. And uh, I joined as an affiliate manager. I'd, I'd worked in commercial lending before this. And this is, I can tell you, this is way more exciting than commercial lending. Started as an affiliate manager, worked for several years traveling the world as a biz dev guy, and now work with the entire sales team here at ClickBank. And I, it's been a phenomenal job because I just, I love working with entrepreneurs. I, I mean, every day we're interacting with dozens of entrepreneurs, whether it's calls about strategy, tactic, what's going wrong, what's going right. And yeah, I've enjoyed the the seven years. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, um, I had an interesting what, two years in the affiliate space. I think right at the oh, start yeah. of my career, start, starting off in sales and then, and then moving through to marketing for the actual, the voucher website itself. Yeah, what then got me into marketing and got me here. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. Yeah, it's an exciting world. I, I Anybody who's out there listening that's still in banking, get into this instead. <laughs> Affiliate marketing, but how big an opportunity do you think it is for brands? Because it obviously doesn't get the hype that PPC gets, Facebook gets, marketing automation, right? Those are the hot topics at the moment. So yeah, what's the opportunity with, with affiliates? Well, I think there is significant opportunity because you get a, a broader reach than you would otherwise. I see a lot of brands that we work with that when they came to us, as they built their brand, they may have been really good at YouTube or Facebook specifically. But when it when they looked at expanding into email marketing or display, they didn't the only option for them to do that was to in-house that talent, start paying those people and hopefully it provided ROI in the future. With affiliates, you're working, whether it's our network or other networks, you're working with some of the best email marketers that are out there, some of the best Facebook media buyers that are out there. So I think it's an excellent way to supplement the uh, things that brands are already doing. Yes, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, almost like outsourcing part of your acquisition, uh, the acquisition that you would be doing and saying, well, if we can get, instead of hiring an agency, why not just get someone else to do it to, to their audience that they've built up, they've grown and we'll just pay a commission. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, there's one really, there's a big supplement brand out of San Diego that I worked with for years. They actually just started with ClickBank when I when I joined and they were in a very similar position. They dominated YouTube and they were great at Facebook, but really every other channel they weren't very good at. And so as they grew that brand, I mean, that grew from oh, three, four million in the first year to they've got to be 60, 70 million last year or uh, two years ago. They eventually moved off of ClickBank because as they grew, they started taking over those channels from affiliates, but they were constantly growing revenue. So they realized we, that brand controlled YouTube. They got great at Facebook. And so then they told their affiliates they didn't want to compete with them on Facebook, that they were going to control the messaging on Facebook. Then they in-house search the next year, in-house email promotion following that. And then now they control, they actually don't use affiliates at all anymore. They control all of their traffic themselves, but they were able to do that 
kind of almost on the backs of affiliates and everybody was happy because it was a great brand to promote at the time when they were still open to affiliates and now they have control over all their traffic channels. Yeah, I suppose it's like the the ultimate kind of performance acquisition model, right? You're, you don't even have the upfront costs of having to hire someone to manage mm-hmm. the performance channel. You're literally just outsourcing the entire thing. Yeah, and that's, uh, and I mean, it's distinct too from the influencer space today where, you know, that influencer might look interesting or sponsoring a podcast or whatever it may be, but the money's out the door before the performance occurs for your sales, right? You're paying them X amount for a spot or for a, a sponsored post or whatever it may be. On the affiliate side, you don't owe them anything until they perform for you. That's actually one thing I wanted to ask about. Where do you think influencers fit in with this? Because in a sense, they are affiliates because they are promoting your business on your behalf. But yeah, there is obviously that different model. Attribution is difficult. There is not not as much tracking in place. Yeah, I think they'll merge over time. The biggest difference currently is that the interests of the brand and the interests of the influencer are not directly aligned. At currently, oftentimes that's a here's a thousand dollars for a post or for being part of your Instagram story. Once that influencers receive that thousand dollars, I mean, they do care to some extent that it performs, otherwise, they're not going to continue to get sponsored. But really, they don't care if it gets you 10 sales or 100 sales, where an affiliate cares very much that they get you 100 instead of 10 because they're only getting paid for the sales or in some cases, the leads that they drive the brand. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I remember yeah, back, back when I was in affiliate in the voucher space, right? So we were a little bit immune to that people taking away the channel because you know, the only thing you can do with, with discounts as the, the brand is advertise them through your channels yourself. Whereas our audience obviously came to our website because they wanted discounts. So that's just where mm-hmm. they would come to look. But there was definitely a focus on who we, there was definitely a prioritization on who we thought would be the better, better merchant to promote. Mm-hmm. And, and also part of that came down to commissions. If we had two, I remember there was a holiday brand that would only ever commission, I think it was something like five pounds per sale or 10 pounds per sale. Like something pretty low given that they're selling stuff that's over a thousand pounds oh like commission rate is low but it was a really popular website it might have actually been hotels.com thinking about it a hotel booking site so obviously when another brand came along that just an actual holiday provider someone like thomas kirk or tui and they said well you get five percent then we're going to be looking at it saying well we've got two great brands here but one of them is going to pay us maybe 10 times more per sale Mm-hmm. So that's that's the one we need to promote. Yeah, I think that's that's often overlooked, especially when brands are looking into getting into the affiliate space is every so every business in the world, right, is competing for customers. But once you're in the affiliate space, you're probably competing just as heavily for affiliates as well. And affiliates equals customers at some point. Um and uh, that gets overlooked where they're like, uh, yeah, we could pay $5 or 5% or whatever it may be. And when I'm talking to brands that are considering using affiliates, I always say, if you have a good sense of your numbers, substitute your customer acquisition cost in for affiliate commission, because it's really the exact same thing, Yeah. right? So if you're paying 
a hundred dollars to acquire a customer um through your own internal channels and you're turning around and telling an affiliate well go find me customers for five dollars that's not going to get you very far unless that affiliate has some magical source of very cheap high converting traffic it just it doesn't work so that's a really important mindset to have is that you as a brand in the affiliate space very much competing with other brands for affiliates attention and traffic and it's really easy to see what's going on in the space as well. You can either, I remember you doing it hundreds of times, right? Typing in a brand name, uh, affiliate model, uh, affiliates partnership or affiliates uh, commission, anything like that, getting through to their page, which said we pay X percent on new mm -hmm. customers, X percent on existing customers, maybe different categories and things. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I've got an app called uh, Honey. Do, do you have it in the US? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... It, that tells me how much, sorry, not honey, sorry, top cashback and quid cashback sites that we have here. I, mm -hmm. I don't know if they are in the US, but those pop up in Chrome, pretty much every website I visit telling me what cashback I'm going to get from those sites. And you can see that with the more established brands, the commissions are really low. The cashbacks are really low because me as a customer, I'm generally happy to buy from them anyway. It's it's a safe, if I get 2% cashback on on, I don't know, Amazon, for example. I, I know Amazon, I'm safe there. Whereas another brand might offer 10% cashback. And then, yeah, you, then those... you, you just have to, as a customer, weigh up which brand you want to buy from. Is there a difference in the product? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. if, it's, if it's retail, then you obviously go for the higher commission, higher cashback. Um, yeah, of course. And those more established brands, like Amazon, I mean, they dominate any channel they want to be in and they can pay to acquire uh, the talent to dominate any channel they want to enter. So they don't need, they don't need to pay a lot. And that's where an emerging brand certainly will have to be highly competitive. View it as customer acquisition costs, but highly competitive with the affiliate payments. Yeah. And then you see it with different markets, don't you? Like utilities, things like utilities tend to pay out quite quite a lot. I think mm -hmm. uh, if you take out a broadband package here, you probably get 100 to 150 in cashback, which yeah. could be, that could be four or five months worth of your uh, first contract. Yeah. Which is yeah. like, when you look at it that way, it's a great incentive. And, uh, and yeah, I suppose like access to these tools does mean that if you are that new brand coming into the space, you can find a range of different size competitors, the, the top level guys, the medium level guys, and maybe the guys around your level and just see what those affiliate commissions are like. And then that gives you an idea of what you might have to be spending. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they'll usually be pretty upfront about it, especially if you have a direct competitor with an affiliate program, they're trying to get people to sign up. And so they'll say, we pay X percent in commission or whatever it may be right on the affiliate site. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them, you can access that information very easily. Mm -hmm. But I remember when I had my gambling websites, it was a pool betting. Uh, so it's a bit like FanDuel and DraftKings okay. in the US. So yeah. pool-based um, betting. And we had a big problem trying to explain that to affiliates who uh, weren't used to that model in the UK. They were used to sports betting where commissions are 100, 200, 250 uh, per, per user, per, per customer mm -hmm. signed up. So when we were saying to them, well, our, our lifetime value for a customer is probably about 50 pounds. So we can't compete in this space and we're not trying to compete against sports betting, but they weren't having any of it. So that's where it does get a little difficult. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a critical part of knowing your numbers really well, if you're going to get into the affiliate space is if you don't know, I mean, 
that so that brand that supplement brand we were talking at San Diego they had their LTVs nailed down to the point where they were negative on the average customer for like four months. And then they found that they were safe to extend those types of commissions just because they had such strong loyalty and their recurring billing was really good with it. But if you don't know that for sure, and you're trying to go compete with that affiliate program, turns out you've only got three months of average rebills. Uh, Yeah. You find yourself cash poor really quickly. So so it's it's critical to know what those numbers are. Yeah, I mean, I, I get gambling apps really hot on this. So we had a, a model which would tell us roughly what the value of a player was after seven days, and so that model was then applied to our acquisition channels to tell us roughly what we should be spending per channel. And I remember shortly after I joined this company, we there was some regulation change, which meant we had to change our welcome offers. And we were able to do that really quickly and easily. And quite a few other companies in the space were slower to it. So I remember our COO coming out one day and just saying, just spend money pretty much. Like up your CPAs. We, they always, acquisition teams always worked on a CPA to PLV, like player lifetime value ratio, which was normally roughly 33%. That's, that's, okay. That was the target. And in this period, he was saying, we're happy to go to 60% on this. Just spend oh, the money. Wow. Blow, you know, blow the opposition out of the market, and uh, and the same applied to affiliates. So we started offering like three three fifty, there's in three hundred three three hundred and fifty pounds per required customer because we knew it would get us the top spot in on every affiliate website. Were you, were you guys still making money at that point, or are you losing money to gain market share? It, it's it's what you you were saying, right? So we we knew we'd make the money back over time. But you know, obviously, when raising it to three three fifty from two two fifty, you're saying, well, we know this is going to take us an extra, maybe four or five months to make that money back. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you've got everything in place and those numbers, and you can be confident on it, you, and and you've got the money in the bank to to make that outlay initially, yeah, you can go for it. Yeah, that's a critical part. Make sure you have the cash to do it before before you go that yeah. route. I suppose the worst thing you can do, right, is is run a run with affiliates for a month or raise raise those what you're willing to spend for a month or so, and then at the end of the month you haven't got the cash to pay that bill. Right, then, that's a way to destroy your affiliate program really quickly. Yeah. Is not pay your affiliates. Yeah. Cool. So let's um, just talk about some, I guess, ways to set up your program. Right. So mm-hmm. what 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 do you think makes a good program? Well, I think so. When I'm talking to people that come to us about setting up affiliate programs, I always am really clear right from the outset that affiliate marketing is is a distinct channel. I see a lot of brands and companies that say, "Yeah, let's try it," and they put an affiliate link at the footer of their page, and it's a opt in to join the affiliate program. Right? Those tend not to perform very well. Well, unless you have something that's in extremely high demand. So I say commit to it as a channel and any channel requires investment. I, I mean, you couldn't expect to break into YouTube for free, right? It, it does require time, time and money. And that time and money is spent on typically optimizing a page for affiliate traffic. So I'll give you an example. A lot of the a lot of the supplement brands we we work with a lot of supplement brands, and a lot of them have Shopify or traditional e-commerce type store that features all thirty of their different products. And you go to the page; it's very typical 
e-commerce feel. Hey, here's a link to our blog. Here's a link to our social media. Here's all 30 products that we sell without clear calls to action in an e-commerce environment instead of more direct response single SKU funnels. And we see those single SKU funnels perform much higher on affiliate traffic, particularly if we're talking scaled cold traffic. Now, what a brand looking to get into this is going to want to do is optimize that that page for affiliate traffic before you turn it over to affiliates. Because if an affiliate goes in there and tests it and it's not converting for them, there's thousands of other offers for them to promote. They're just going to go find the other offer that's better optimized. Now, there are challenges to that, as, particularly for brands that don't control a lot of their internal, don't control a lot of traffic already. They don't have the ability to test. But you can, if you're working with an agency, you can get that done. If not, like I, I know several guys that have, have asked to email list managers to test it. They're always willing. I mean, they're always looking to fill their calendar with something. They're willing to test it. Now, they're not willing to test it for free. Oftentimes, it'll be, we're going to floor a per click cost or something like that. Minimum 10 cents per click. That's one way to protect that, that affiliate. But that way, you're not testing on affiliates and not burning relationships. And then I would say, as you get into it, as a brand gets into affiliate promotion, keep in mind what I said earlier, you're competing with numerous dozens, hundreds of other companies about competing for affiliates. And so make it as easy as possible. Like I I spoke to one of the largest list managers on ClickBank just last week, and he was saying that he had a promotion fall through their calendars out several months, right? And he had a promotion fall through and found another offer that fit the copy that he was going to send the following day but he could not get anything back from the company. He needed swipe copy and like the demo they're targeting. And he, I mean, he would have sent them tens of thousands of dollars in sales that day. And so we say, you know, dial in that affiliate page really well, have a diagram of the funnel that you're sending tra- or that you want affiliates to send traffic to links to the pages inside that funnel. So they don't have to go through and buy everything to figure out how the marketing copy is written. What are the conversion rates, average order value throughout the whole funnel? Of course, any any email copy, swipe copy, images, any if you do display and whatever's working for the brand at that time. And then any terms and conditions on that page. We were talking about brands that have they are good at controlling one or two sources of traffic. Like if you don't want them competing with you on search for your keywords, just tell them right there. Like don't do this. And they're pretty good about that. And then lastly, if you have an affiliate manager or somebody inside the company that that an affiliate can reach out to if they need something custom, put that right at the top of the page. I always say, hey, put your affiliate manager's name and a picture of them, uh, their headshot, where how you get in touch with them, phone number, email, Skype, whatever it is, right at the top of the page. Because that guy, that list manager that I was talking to, even if he hadn't found what he needed on that page, he would have reached out to that person on Skype and gotten whatever he needed. And that would have been the difference in tens of thousands of sales the following day. Yeah. So make, yeah, make it easy for them, not only so that you can get those sales in, right? But I imagine that guy's thinking, I'm not even going to bother looking at this company anymore because yep. uh, you know they're not responsive. They're, if they're difficult to get hold of, then why even, why even bother trying to initiate the uh, the relationship there? So yeah, I like I think both are really good points. So just going back to the first one you made about kind of landing pages and that funnel. Yeah, if it's cold, if it's relatively cold traffic being driven by affiliates, then don't just send it to your website. Give them an offer. 
know, again, going back to gambling, we always use landing pages for everything. Right, so we custom made landing pages for all the affiliates. We did at Readly as well. When I worked there, we built custom landing pages for every affiliate. And a lot of those affiliates tended to be like magazine publishers and people. So it, by putting their, their logo on there, that was normally enough for people to say, okay, I know I'm in the right place. This brand I've trusted has sent me here. A bit more like mm-hmm. a partnership model, I suppose. But I suppose you could also test out new offers and things, new bundles. Mm-hmm. Right, It gives you the opportunity to say, well, we're not going to make this bundle available to everyone, but let's make it available to new customers that come through affiliates. Yeah, exactly. And we see quite a bit of that. ClickBank has one-click post-purchase upsells. So after the order form, and they, uh, we see quite a bit of testing in there. Going back to the supplement example, should we provide a three bottle option in that upsell, a one bottle option because it'll convert at a higher rate, all of those things. There's pretty, the biggest brands that we work with, I would say are testing that a couple times a month, at least. They'll usually test it on their own internal email traffic, then turn it over to trusted affiliates that are willing to test. And then once they know it works, turn it over to their entire affiliate base. Yeah. Yes. It's about including it as a real part of the entire marketing mix, right? Not just, not just viewing it as this channel of kind of like performance only traffic, set up the account, give people some links and just let them do their thing. It's mm-hmm. there's opportunity there to really grow it. If you manage the channel properly, test, test with them, build your relationships uh, and give them those unique opportunities, those exclusive uh, opportunities as well. Yeah, that what you were talking about, custom landing pages. I, I know, so it, it sounds like you were working with major publishers. I know in our space, the largest affiliates, that goes a really long way with them because it saves them a lot of hassle. They don't have to kind of fit the copy they know is going to work into the landing page messaging that isn't quite what they want. And so that everybody wins, right? You end up with more sales, all of that. So especially the highest value affiliates, it's worth doing some custom work for them, whether it's landing pages, creative, swipe copy, any of those. Yeah. Especially if the affiliate traffic is coming from a brand that they know, if the, the, the traffic has a relationship with. Right. So if that's the case, then yeah, why not say this is an exclusive offer for members of this mm-hmm. affiliate partner? And even you could even tailor the copy. If you, I think of an example off the top of my head. Also, right, again, going back to gambling, because there seem to be in that space at the moment. If you've got an affiliate who only deals with poker players, right, then create a poker-specific offer, acknowledging the fact that they've come from uh, pokermagazine.com or whatever, and, uh, and maybe include some actual copy in there, not just that logo and that headline, actually include some copy in as why it's been selected by that website to promote. Yeah. And some con- the congruent look and feel to the site. I mean, keep in mind, and I'm sure you know this well, in the cold traffic space, right? You're trying to take traffic that had zero buyer intent the moment that they landed on that page and turn them into somebody that is completely committed with buyer intent in about 90 seconds. That's a hard shift. People are suspicious. They need to be convinced that they want to do this. And the more collaboration between the person sending the traffic and the person receiving the traffic, the better chance you have of that working. Yeah. So what about mistakes? Obviously, there's the opposite we've been talking about. But are there any other mistakes uh, brand can make that you see? Yeah. The So first off, if... Like we were talking about, if you're good, if you if you have a brand that's good at those 
at a handful of channels protect them. And if you have any affiliates that are infringing on those, definitely uh, remove them. Second, a lot of the people, when we first start working with them, will view their affiliate manager more as somebody that they're responsible for tallying up all the clicks or sales and calculating what they owe and then going into PayPal or whatever system they use to pay their affiliates and paying them. And that's really a glorified bookkeeper. Like they're just making sure, which don't get me wrong, making sure everybody gets paid on time is a really critical part. But making that affiliate manager more of a relationship manager, they should know what is that affiliate's traffic source. But also beyond that, they should know when's his birthday. Like send him a bottle of whiskey just to say thank you for the relationship at event working events that they should be a very prominent person advocating for the brand toward affiliates to ensure that they're um, they're getting as much traffic out of their affiliate partners that they can. And too often, it's just kind of somebody that worked in accounting that now has to do this spreadsheet and make sure everybody gets paid. And that works, but the relationships are absolutely worth it. That list manager I was talking about, if he knew he could just call up, he call up Will and say, Will, can you get me this landing page today? Because you had sent him a bottle of whiskey last month for his birthday and you guys had dinner at that conference last year, then you're always top of mind for that, for that affiliate. Yeah, well, yeah, thinking back to when I was at my voucher codes over here in the UK, the best offers that we got, the best discounts, the best codes, and the best performance was always with the merchants that I could speak to directly and that I actually had that relationship with, and like significantly more than when for some reason I had to go through the affiliate network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. I don't know what you guys are like, but you know, some of these affiliate networks were quite protective of that relationship and would try and make sure that you had to go through them. And it just got a bit frustrating, partly because it, it negatively impacts on that relationship with the merchant because you, mm-hmm. it's more, much more difficult to build it, but also it impacts on that speed that you were talking about. Right? I can't pick up the phone to that person and say, I need a banner, I need some copy, or what's the code or what's the T's and C's? I have to go through a middleman. Which, uh, yeah. yeah, we don't do that actually. I, I know some networks do. Our our thought is they're going to figure out who they are anyway. I mean, that's just the way it works. And it's much better for us to just say, hey, do you mind if we make an introduction? So ClickBank's an anonymous platform. So we have to get everybody's approval to make an introduction. But that's what we task our affiliate managers with. Go through and find who are the best affiliates that have had success in this area that could promote this new product. And then... Make sure you introduce them directly to that seller. If people are working with a network that don't doesn't work that way, I encourage our sellers to do this. Is on your affiliate page, ask them to opt in for communication from you. So I tell them, look, if you come onto ClickBank and maybe ClickBank doesn't work out very well for you, and you decide to go to another network, that's that's fine. Do what's best for your business, but you might as well not leave all of your affiliates behind. It, get to know them, grab grab yeah. their email, and get in touch with them. Yeah, thinking about it, I what might have been the case was some of these companies were actually paying the affiliate networks to to, to act as the affiliate manager. Mm-hmm. So that that might what have been what it was actually, and therefore the the network saw it as their responsibility to be that contact, and that the person on the brand side didn't want to be bothered by it. Or obviously there was that risk that once you start building those relationships, the client might realize that they don't need you as the affiliate yeah. manager, and and they're better off with it in house. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to ask about was 
what are some of the things brands need to be cautious or aware of when working with affiliates? Yeah, I, so several things. One, particularly for highly branded or highly brand conscious companies that have spent time and, and money building up their brand, I would vet every single affiliate that you work with. Where do they get their traffic from? What's their most successful promotions? Um, where do they look, get to know them very well? And then be very clear about expectations for what's not allowed. If you want them to use specific co- specific copy or specific images, or you don't want them to use your brand name, we see a lot of people that don't want don't want coupon sites or review sites, things like that. Be really clear about it. And then if you find somebody that's violating that those rules, you can either take it up with the affiliate directly, or in our case, and most networks are this way, take it up directly with the network. We'll blacklist them from promoting that offer. We we want to protect everybody involved as well. So m- most affiliate networks will work that way. And a lot of them, including ClickBank, have internal tools where you can whitelist or blacklist people on your own. So your affiliate manager can take care of it directly. An automated email goes to that affiliate and says, hey, you're no longer promoting this product and their traffic will dead end. It doesn't, doesn't go anywhere. But another important part of that is that affiliate manager not every day but you know maybe once a month twice a month go take a look look out there and see if, you know what's out there particularly on search it's so easy to see what people are doing and if they know that you're watching then they're going to be more cautious about it or see see the list and see what's the email promotion that's coming in it also gives you insight into what else those affiliates are promoting so it's not a it's not a problem to ignore certainly like i would pay attention to it but it's a pretty pretty easy problem to keep track of if somebody's looking yeah and i think generally the good affiliates will just abide by the rules Mm -hmm. Uh, You might get maybe someone new joins the affiliates, doesn't know about that rule and decides to go ahead with some search or something. But uh, yeah, generally speaking, the the good players play by the rules. And Yeah, I'd say 95% of the time, that's the case. Somebody signed up and didn't read the whole thing and they didn't realize that they weren't supposed to be doing that. And it's almost always, I'm sorry, because the affiliate space is actually not of, of the the heavy hitters is not that big. They have a reputation to maintain. So if they burn your brand and they burned another brand, then they're not, a word gets around pretty quick and particularly among the network. And so they have a reputation to maintain as well. Yeah, I remember everyone knew everyone in the affiliate space. So yeah, yeah, if you weren't weren't playing by the rules, if you were taking the piss a little bit, people would find out very quickly. Uh, especially if it was a big problem if you are just a little bit naughty maybe you get away with it a slap on the wrist from that merchant or whoever but uh, yeah some of the bigger it gets known and it was things like i don't know this might not sound like a big issue to some people listening but just stuff like search right suddenly if if you find out that affiliates bidding on your your search terms or or even your brand that's it's not good right that's a very Mm -hmm. it's very targeted thing that then they know they're doing it generally as well yeah yeah, and don't hesitate to go to the network. The network doesn't want brands leaving it, whether it's ClickBank or any other network. They don't want to lose clients over that. So most generally, the network will take care of it for you if you don't want to deal with it. Yeah, cool. Any, any other Anything else they should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to the biggest thing is those relationships are critical. That'll give you early warning signs if somebody's 
if you think somebody's doing something wrong. And so I we're really big on brand protection here because we prefer to work with branded products instead of like single skew funnels. We work with a lot of both, but if so, to, you know, have somebody that's their job to keep an eye on it. When you say this relationships causes a red flag, do you mean if an affiliate isn't very engaging? So if, yeah, almost, almost the reverse of what you were talking about earlier. When if it's difficult to get hold of a merchant, the affiliate goes off and promotes someone else. Does the same happen the other way? Right? If I'm the merchant and I'm trying to get hold of an affiliate and it's difficult, exactly. generally, does that generally indicate that you know something might be going on there? Yeah, because everybody benefits from the collaboration. So if I mean they may be protective of a landing page, an interstitial lander they have or something. You're not necessarily asking them to turn over all their creative, but that would be a red flag for me where it's like, ah, let's let's take a look at where the traffic's coming from, who maybe see the list, see what the copy looks like. So I would recommend that. I, and again, this isn't like you don't have to hire somebody to be a traffic cop 24-7. I'm just saying like your affiliate manager twice a month, take a look and see what people are doing. Yeah, cool. What's coming up in the affiliate space? What are, you know, are there any big changes coming up in, in the next year or so? Oh man, it's the affiliate space over the past, since the pandemic has been crazy. I mean, we've absolutely blown up the number of uh, high volume affiliates we're working with. So it, it's it's hard to predict what's coming next. I would say things are moving much faster than they were two years ago in that offers are either succeeding wildly or failing much quicker. And I, beyond that, there's always the regulatory pressure, right? The um, GDPR for you guys in, in the EU or CCPA here in the US as the, whether it's the networks, the ESPs, the other service providers in the industry work through that. I think there will continue to be that type of regulation ongoing, but also it's an industry that's highly adaptable. iOS 14 has been interesting. I just saw today that Google is going to start doing that with the Android phone as well to allow or to block cross, what is it, cross app tracking. So we'll see how that happens. It's been interesting to watch it so far. It limits the amount of data that we're getting back, but you can still infer performance. You might not be able to and, you know, get it down to the penny, but you can infer directionally kind of red light, green light signal, whether something's working or not. I'll be curious what the next iteration of that is. I can't imagine Apple's done with the privacy thing. They've really staked, put a flag in the ground around privacy. Google realizes now that it's important and that they need to do something similar. And lastly, I'd say email marketing is still very much alive and well. About half of our traffic comes from email marketers. The guys that do it right are able to send a significant amount of traffic and they're, they have very engaged lists that continue to perform well. So there's no email is dead, particularly on the affiliate stuff. That's not the case at all. And I wouldn't anticipate that happening anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I gave a, a talk on email marketing today, actually, and I had to make the point that email marketing it still isn't dead. Still not going yeah. anywhere. I think actually the stat I managed to pull out was, I can't remember if it was millennials or whether it was just consumers. It might have just been consumers. I believe that email is more likely to be around than Twitter, Facebook, and uh, cable TV. Cable TV really? being a more obvious one, I think. I think in 10 years' time. That's really interesting because Twitter and Facebook are, are so dominant right now, but 
don't you think about like what's the alternative to email whereas facebook's been disrupted by well they've obviously bought instagram but then disrupted by snapchat briefly tiktok whatever it may be so uh, that actually makes sense tiktok's hurting but yeah like what is the alternative to email if you need to send me a decent amount of information text message doesn't work like whatsapp Mm -hmm. doesn't work uh slack is obviously not an alternative to email right (laughs) I think everyone's kind of on board with that now. But uh, actually, I saw an interesting graph might have been earlier today or yesterday about social media performance and Twitter is on the rise. So Twitter might be above its previous peak or it might be getting towards it. So it's had like a, it had a dip and now it's on the way back up. Facebook is obviously suffering a little dip right now. Uh, the really interesting one, and I know this is really aff- uh, related to affiliates, Reddit has not peaked. Has Reddit, not. Reddit has been going up and up every single year, every quarter. It's the consuming habits are interesting. I was talking to another social media guy that runs an agency that we work with, and we were talking about content consumption. And he made the comment that uh, on Twitter, I don't know if you see this as well, but Twitter threads have become a really big deal, and it'll be like the 15 books that you need to read and then it'll be an individual tweet in that thread or the 10 effective habits for great leadership, whatever it may be. And his thought was that medium-sized content is not interesting to people anymore. They want the 30-second video or they want yeah. like the three-hour Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, they don't so, want yeah. the 40-minute video, right? I, I thought it's an interesting reflection on the habits of consumption currently. Yeah. I kind of want to disagree with you because my this podcast probably fits into that medium. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> medium area, but, uh, yeah. Well, he told me that we do a podcast here at ClickMake as well. I was like, oh, we we aim for 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah. No, I've had a lot of good feedback about how these episodes seem to be like detailed enough for people, mm-hmm. but obviously without going right into the, this is exactly how you go and set up an affiliate program mm-hmm. sort of thing. So um yeah, cool. Just before we finish then, uh, who in the D2C marketing space or e-commerce space would you like to go and have lunch with? Oh, that's a really good question. I've gotten to have lunch with a lot of phenomenal marketers. Off the top of my head, he's not, I don't think he's in this space anymore, but one of the marketers I admire the most is a guy named Justin Tupper, uh, P-E-R. He uh, started a company called Revolution Golf, which taught, it was, I think it started as DVDs and be like golf lessons on DVD. And he built it into a digital business and one of the best email marketing companies I've seen. It has since been purchased by NBC Golf, but he did an episode of the Mike Dillard podcast probably six years ago. It's still out there somewhere. So if you search Justin Tupper and Mike Dillard, it is one of the best, probably 45 minutes, still right in that zone of content, 45 minutes of how he viewed the lifetime value of a customer and how they handled everything from an email because email was huge to them. And I just have a lot of admiration for a guy that built a D2C brand into relatively well-known name and then sold it to NBC. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, that's pretty pretty cool, isn't it? I think I, I do recognize the name actually. Revolution Golf. Yeah, it's it's been completely rebranded. I, I don't remember what NBC did with the name, but he I've met him once briefly when we were sharing a stage, and you could tell that his mindset from the beginning was what do we need to do with our 
D2C company to build an asset that has value to sell. And that's a he goes into that in that podcast. But I I had to admire that because a lot of a lot of the brands are what do we get? What are we accomplishing this year? He was looking 10 years out and executed on it. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Cool. And final thing, are there any Obviously, apart from ClickBank, what's are there a couple of marketing tools or just general tools that you'd recommend people use on a day to day basis? I use I use Loom every day because <laughs> it's just so much faster. We use AdSpy and similar web to see where you know where traffic's coming from and going. I'm kind of surprised how few people this isn't a tool necessarily, but how few people are using the ad libraries in Facebook. You can go to a Facebook yeah. page and see all the ads that are running, general amounts of what they're spending, all the ads they it's, have run in the past. I, I know of this, free. but it, I don't think it's that, it partly it's not, I don't think it's that well known, but also it's not that obvious on the page. Right. You, you do have to kind of, which I, I suppose makes sense, right? Facebook doesn't want to stick that right in front of everyone. They would need to go hunt it down. But yeah, I was aware of that, but only because someone told me. I, I think the first time someone mentioned it to me, they even said you had to like find the the number that related to this business's page, which you could find by visiting their page, and then go to a certain URL and and put that number in. And that was pretty. You, you had to have the generic URL and change the number um, in order to get it. Um, yeah, yeah, I would so. say I I just used it yesterday. It is painfully slow to load, and I mean okay. like I'll. I'll set it and then look at it again 30 minutes later. It is painfully slow. So I think you're onto something there where Facebook's probably not interested in having it front and center. But what I find most interesting about going through that is seeing the stuff that didn't work. Because you can go through and see a lot of ad creative that's pretty similar recently. You're like, okay, that's what they're running today. But then you see all kinds of stuff that must have been tests prior because it's not very congruent to what they're running today and you see what failed. So especially if you're thinking about promoting a brand, look at what didn't work for them. Yeah. Okay. Do you actually so do you actually get the numbers, any stats and numbers in there, or do you just kind of have to have to assess it for yourself and think, you know, this is obviously so different to the rest, it must not have worked. Yeah, that's there. There isn't numbers uh, unless there's a different spy tool on this. There isn't numbers on like how much ad spend was behind a specific piece of creative. But usually, what I'm looking for, and obviously, they have to have a fair amount of creative in there to make this comparison. But you'll see they've kind of settled on something that's worked, and you'll see several pieces of creative that are similar. And then there will be one or two outliers that are wildly different. And yeah. I always infer, like, well, that that must not have worked out very well because they didn't modify it or optimize it at all. Yeah, I didn't stick with it. Um, yeah, cool, awesome. All right, this is uh, great stuff. If anyone wants to get out, get in touch and find out more about uh, affiliate marketing, what's the best way of doing that? Oh yeah, check us out at uh, clickbank.com/podcast, and they'll it's a uh, brief questionnaire if you're interested in using affiliates on uh, your brand. I would say to research multiple affiliate networks, like take a look, there might be one specific to your industry. And then to get in touch with me directly, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And uh, ClickBank itself publishes a lot of great content on uh, every social media channel. I think we might even be on TikTok now, but yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Dominic. Thank you, Will. A huge opportunity in the affiliate space is that you get access to so many experts, not directly, maybe, you know, you don't necessarily learn from their expertise, 
but you can work with some of the best email marketers out there, the best uh, Facebook media buyers, etc. Right? They have to be the best because it's such a competitive space and they're working on commission. It's also really important to know your numbers, especially if you're involved in CPA deals and not percentage commissions. If your affiliates absolutely smash it with a campaign and drive you loads of customers, you have to be able to pay them. If you don't, or if you get a a reputation for paying late, they'll move on to other brands who do pay on time and word spreads, right? It's a pretty close-knit industry. You're building a relationship here. It's, It's not just some nameless paid media channel. If you'd like to hear more from Dominic, you can reach out to him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswhoclick.com or drop me a message on LinkedIn. Next up, I've got Bant Breen joining me to talk about building online reputations and why it's important for employees to work on this, not just brands. But until then, keep those customers clicking.